Welcome to the Apostles Houston podcast, and thanks for listening. As a community following Jesus in Houston, we want to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do the kinds of things Jesus did. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, we invite you to join us for worship each Sunday at 10 a.m. in Houston Heights. For more information, visit us online at ApostlesHouston.org. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. In No Exit, Jean-Paul Sartre, through his protagonist, said, Hell is other people. Sartre may have more practical insight into hell now than he did when he wrote No Exit, but his point is well taken. Human beings can and do contribute to the misery of other human beings. In 1964, Barbara Streisand said, People, people who need people are the luckiest people in the world. To which Sartre replied, Hell is Barbara Streisand. It is not good for the man to be alone. I was raised on the mythos of the old school westerns, movies that featured a familiar plot line. A gang of bad guys is tormenting and oppressing the hapless and helpless people of the town. Then the archetypal cowboy hero, the lone drifter, the mysterious stranger rides into town to save the day. Then, after vanquishing the bad guys and winning the heart of the town's prettiest gal, our hero rides off into the sunset alone. I wanted to be that hero. But after I vanquished all of the bad guys on my beat in West Dallas, and I turned in my badge to the Dallas Police Department. I married the town's prettiest gal, and we drove off to Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary together in her white 1979 Datsun with a nifty five-speed manual transmission. It has been very good for me to not be alone. It is not good for the man to be alone. I'm living proof, and so are you. God created us for loving relationships, for communion, for community, for participation in the eternal love of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That is what it means to be fully human. It is not good for the man to be alone. In 2020, as some of you may recall, With very little warning and without a comprehensive cost-benefit analysis, we were locked down and required to, quote, socially distance. Churches were closed. Public schools implemented remote learning. Music venues were closed. Weddings were postponed. Social and cultural events were canceled. Stadiums were empty. Public playgrounds were taped off like crime scenes. Bewildered parents and children were cut off from their loved ones in hospitals, 
hospice, and assisted living facilities. I could go on and on, but you might remember this. It was not good for so many to be so alone. During the early days of the lockdown, I felt like I personally was thriving. The courthouses were closed, so my trial settings were postponed. Client meetings, mediations, and depositions were canceled or conducted via Zoom. My business travel ended abruptly. Consequently, after more than three decades of relentless professional busyness, I suddenly had ample time and energy for reading great books and memorizing mass quantities of scripture. The weather was perfect for long runs. Every day was punctuated by leisurely walks with my beautiful and brilliant bride. Unlike some of our friends, Diana uh, and I actually got to hang out with our grandchildren, Towns and Margot, and we saw them on a daily basis. As a bonus, I discovered the wonders of YouTube videos about unlikely animal friends and family bluegrass bands. I was enjoying my relative isolation. Several weeks into the general lockdown, I realized that only one of the events on my May calendar had not been officially canceled or converted into a virtual event. In late 2019, I had accepted an invitation to speak at the annual International Staff Conference for YWAM. If you are not familiar with YWAM, Youth with a Mission, you should know that YWAM sends teams of Holy Spirit-powered missionary ninjas to serve in dangerous places all over the world. I was not surprised, therefore, when the president of YWAM called me to let me know that pandemic or no pandemic, hundreds of staff people were heading to Texas from a wide variety of exotic places, and he was looking forward to meeting me in person. The real purpose of the call was to make sure I was not going to back out at the last minute. I did not back out. I showed up. I gave five 43-minute talks in 36 hours. I cannot remember a word I said, and I suspect no one else can either. What I remember is we were together, physically together, spiritually together, singing, praying, worshiping. It was so good to be not alone. When I got back to Houston, I tried to slide right back into my lockdown lifestyle, but it seemed so different. It had become too hot for an enjoyable run or a comfortable walk. And pundits, including respected Christian thought leaders, were starting to speculate and bloviate about a new normal of remote this and virtual that. I had a nagging sense that we were losing something and we might not ever get it back. God works in mysterious ways. 
And one day in June 2020, he worked through the YouTube algorithm. God sent me a music video. It was the whole town of Galway, Ireland. Has anybody here been to Galway, Ireland? Well, we need to get out more, don't we? Uh, it was the whole town of Galway, Ireland, physically together, singing an Irish song written by a great Texan singer-songwriter, Steve Earle. The video was filmed in 2016, long before the weirdness of 2020. I want to give you just a little taste of that video. wasn't sad at all. I wept because it made me so happy to be reminded of what it means to be human, to be joyfully connected, to fiddle and pick and drum and sing and dance together. When we come together for a joyful purpose, to make and enjoy music, we are in the neighborhood of heaven. That is extra true when our joyful purpose is worshiping Jesus together. The Galway Girl video made me hungry to physically go to church. I found out that First Baptist Church was uh, beginning to open up for, quote, in-person worship, as if there is really any other kind. The very next Sunday, Di and I showed up at First Baptist Church. It is very Baptist there. That is probably why so many Baptists happily go there. I do not remember the very Baptist song that we sang to kick off the very Baptist worship service. But I remember that I was too choked up to finish the song. I was so grateful to be there. I realized that we, Di and I and all those Baptists, were doing what we were created to do, what all human beings are created to do, together, and what every creature will do eternally. That will be my point today. 
as we consider uh, our passage in Romans 15. I'm going to focus on Romans 15, verses 1 through 6. But yes, uh, apostles, we have made it all the way to Romans 15. And to appreciate what's going on in this passage today, you need to listen to the amazing sermon that got preached in this very church uh, last week by Brother Derek. An argument could be made that Paul's ultimate point for this long, amazing letter uh, is found in chapters 14 and 15 and is specifically conveyed in a one-sentence prayer in Romans 15, 6. This is my working translation of the passage. This is the New Jack provisional translation. Uh, it's not perfect. Uh, it's provisional. The P does not stand for perfect. It stands for provisional. We the strong ones were obliged to bear the weaknesses of those who are not strong. And we should not be me first people. Each of us should be neighbor focused for the good purpose of building up our neighbor. For Christ was not a me first person. But as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, so that by endurance and by the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you the same mindset with one another, in accordance with Jesus Christ, so that homo thumadon, you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ." So I'm going to make four succinct, Lord willing, observations. Each of these observations could and should be a 24-minute sermon. But I do not have authorization from the leadership of apostles to preach four different 24-minute sermons today. So I will be brief. First observation, <clears throat> we are not created to be me first people. That is a biblical fact, but it seems to be contradicted by all of the evidence in the historical record. History is full of me first people. When I'm driving my truck by myself, my truck is full of a me first person. If we human beings act naturally, to borrow the immortal words of Buck Owens or Ringo Starr, take your pick, then we, each in his or her own twisted way, will prioritize self-interest more often than not. That is because the way things are in this broken and rebellious world is not the way things ought to be. If you do not believe me, just watch two fine documentaries on this topic called Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. But followers of Jesus know that joy is found in nonconformity to a me-first world. So I just thought of something. I think this is going to catch on. Listen carefully. 
It's entirely my own intellectual property. Joy. Jesus first, others second, yourself third. Somebody write that down and let's put it on a bumper sticker, a t-shirt, and a koozie right away. Is it that true though? Have you ever heard this before? I'm not the first, I confess. I, I might have heard it somewhere else. You know where I first heard it? Um, uh, every, every man of a certain age uh, can, uh, will begin to cry at the mere mention of a certain uh, movie that appeared on television. Who can name that movie? You have to be a man of a certain age. Maybe I'm the only man of a certain age in here. The movie was about a friendship between uh, Gail Sayers and a running back, uh, his, his friend Brian Piccolo. Now, Gail Sayers, arguably one of the greatest running backs in the history of the National Football League. A preternaturally gifted athlete, a beautiful human being, African-American. Uh, uh, his best friend, Brian Piccolo, uh, not so talented, but an amazing human being. Uh, and a white guy, and if you haven't uh, studied up on this, there was a time in this country when friendships between white guys and black guys was not something you might take for granted. And this was the friendship between Brian Piccolo and Gail Sayers. And uh, I'm going to start crying just telling you, the, movie, the movie's called Brian's Song. Does anybody remember this? Yeah. Could believe. Raise your hand if, you did, if you're a man of a certain age and you did not cry watching that movie. Because if you raise your hand right now, you're a heartless cyborg. <laughs> but anyway, it's a great movie. I don't know how it's held up. I do know we watched it with my girls uh, when, when Claire was maybe 11 or so. And it came on, and I, was, I had made everybody uh, sit around and watch this thing. Uh, <laughs> Claire was acting like this tough guy, right, you know, that wasn't going to be emotionally impacted. Well, she was crying harder than I was, which is saying something. Uh, anyway, it's a great show, but, but that movie was based on Gail Sayers' autobiography. Do you know what it's called? I Am Third. That's where I learned this. It was before I was a Christian uh, that I learned uh, this acronym. It's the truest thing you'll ever say or hear. Uh, <clears throat> so we're not created to be mere first people, and if there's an absence of joy uh, uh, in a human being's life, it is because that human being has uh, failed to prioritize Jesus and others over self. So we're not created to be mere first people. That's Paul's first point here. Observation number two. Uh, we are called to cruciformity. This is an $11 word. Uh, it's a great word. Uh, so let's, let's be clear here. We're called as a community of believers. Uh, uh, that we as a community of believers, as the church, uh, that our lives together uh, are conformed to the self-giving life of Jesus the Messiah, the liberating King. And of course, the self-giving life of Jesus 
and his self-giving love was demonstrated most clearly and effectively on a Roman cross. This instrument of imperial torture uh, and oppression and subjugation was what God used as the instrument to show that evil is overcome by self-giving love and that God himself is self-giving love and that he has called us as a community uh, to, to overcome the evil that is pervasive in a broken and rebellious world by imitating the pattern of Jesus specifically in the self-giving love of the cross. This imitation of Jesus in that way is cruciformity, and we're called the cruciformity. And Paul very succinctly makes this point, right? He says, for Christ is not a me first person. But as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. This Psalm 69 is capturing an inter-Trinitarian dialogue between, between the Son and the Father. And what the Son is saying there is the world's hostility to you, this world that has turned its back on God, he's bearing the price for that hostility on the cross. And if you want to read more about cruciformity, just go to the great uh, section of Philippians 2 where Paul is, you know, uh, sharing with us the, the words of a great hymn that was sung in the earliest church about the condescension and self-giving love of God, that we're called to have the same mindset among us that was also in Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, as Joe Biden would say, you know the deal. Observation number three. Eat to live. Now, some of us are inclined to live to eat, and frankly, we're living uh, here in Houston, Texas, in the golden age of barbecue. I mean, we have so much good barbecue in this city. Does anybody, I know you're a bunch of vegans here at Apostles. If I, if I was over at First Baptist, you know, with the real men, you know, we, we would, uh, we'd be, you'd be uh, enjoying a little talk about barbecue. Listen to me. So, you know, it's a gift from God. It's, it's not hard to say grace at Pinkerton's or Truth or a pit room, right? But, but here's, here's my point. Uh, when Jesus said, man does not live by bread alone, he wasn't talking about the need for barbecue to go with the bread. When Jesus said, man does not live by bread alone, but by, who can finish the thought? Every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So I've talked about this before. There's two words for live in the Greek language, bios and zoe. And bios refers to our physical sustenance. Uh, the continuity of our biological existence, that's important, and food is necessary for that. But what we're called to as Christians is zoe, this life that transcends the merely physical. And to live that life, we have to eat. We have to eat. And so Paul says here, uh, by the encouragement of the scriptures, we may have hope. So the hostile spiritual powers, the devil himself, has one uh, idea for you today and tomorrow. And he's did a number on a lot of us in the last few years to discourage us. But God's given us his word to encourage 
us. So we shouldn't be skipping any meals in a very discouraging time. We eat uh, to live. Final observation, and I think this is ultimately the point. <clears throat> Come on, people now. Smile on your brother. Everybody homo thumadon and try to love one another right now. That's a Greek word. Did you know that? <clears throat> And you know me well enough by now to know that I'm going to show off about four times a sermon with my grasp of the, the language of the Greek New Testament. Well, you know, some words, and this is one of them, we just can't get them right in English. I just don't think we get them right. I mean, it's not unusual uh, translating any great work into another language uh, uh, sometimes we just can't get there. So I want to talk about this word uh, just very succinctly. Okay. Homo thumadon. I'm not going to commit the etymological fallacy and say that you know the meaning of every word by its constituent parts. But here, I think uh, the constituent parts of homo thumadon uh, are helpful, insightful. So uh, we have the Greek a word homo, same is what it means. Okay, And thumos means passion. Got it? So uh, it mean, and it's an adverb. So it, uh, it means roughly with uh, unified intensity of passion. With unified intensity of passion. Now, homothumadon can be good or bad, depending on how that passion is directed or misdirected, right? Not all passion is good. Uh, uh, if my homothumadon is an expression of shared uh, bitterness and anger, that's not good. In fact, it's used that way a couple of times in the book of Acts. Homothumadon appears only in Romans in the book of Acts, only once in Romans, 11 times in the book of Acts. And a couple of times in the book of Acts, you see the negative expression of homothumadon, where it's talking about uh, basically a lynch mob, an angry crowd that's coming after the disciples for their uh, proclamation of Jesus in the public square. But when it's used for the church in the book of Acts, it's good. It's good. It's good. Uh, Acts 1.14, uh, we learn that the, uh, uh, the disciples, uh, the believers, uh, were together in one place, Acts 1.14, they were being uh, devoted with homo thumadon to prayer in anticipation of Jesus fulfilling the promise that he fulfills in Acts 2. Then in Acts 2.46, after the Holy Spirit uh, is poured out, uh, we read about the believers now with the Holy Spirit, uh, now with all the new believers who've come to faith after Peter's electrifying uh, sermon that pierced the hearts of the listeners, uh, the early church being devoted with homothumadon uh, to worship in the temple courts. Acts 4.24, uh, after uh, Peter is uh, uh, out of jail, not the, not, the first, not the last time he'll be in jail, but after he's out that time, they come together 
uh, and realize that there's real opposition to this gospel movement. And so with raised voices, with homothumadon, they ask God to give them boldness for evangelism. I could go on and on in the book of Acts, but you see that this word shows up again and again, and it's hidden in your translations. You miss it. You miss it. Uh, but you can't miss it here in Romans. Because uh, uh, here's what Paul is asking. He, Paul is praying a prayer. Uh, he says, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you the same mindset with one another in accordance with Jesus Christ, so that homo thumadon, you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now what I pick up here on here is this one voice motif. Where do we, where do we hear and see that? We see it in arguably the most spectacular uh, uh, passages in the New Testament. It's, it's arguably. I'm talking about Revelation 5 where the curtain of heaven, the worship in heaven is pulled back and John the revelator uh, gets this glimpse which he reports to us of what he's witnessing. Uh, after the lamb who was slain was found worthy to open the scroll that unpacks the meaning and purpose of all of history. And there is this worship around the throne and it is spectacular. It is mind-blowing. And just to give you a taste, uh, uh, John, John says, And I looked and I heard the voice of a multitude of angels around the throne along with the 24 elders and the four living creatures. And the number of the angels was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. Now, in the Greek language, myriad is the word you plug in when you are trying to say the biggest number that can be said. So you might see a translation 10,000. Well, that's, that's not even close. And so John, John is describing this. It's with one voice that the myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands of angels are singing with one loud voice, worthy is the Lamb who was slain. But that's not even the crescendo. Because then John says, then I heard the voice of every creature in heaven, on earth, under the earth, in the sea, every creature in every place. He's trying to make sure you understand this is comprehensive. Singing. What were they saying? We, we sang it today with one voice, right? Blessing and honor and glory and dominion to the one who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. 
So what we get to do together, what we get to do together, what we just got to do today, what we'll get to do again momentarily is with one voice become part of every what every creature eternally, ultimately is created to do. We should never listen to any bureaucrat in the future who says otherwise. So homo thumadon. This is Paul's prayer for the house churches at Romans. It should be our prayer for this church, our prayer for every church. What this dazed and confused uh, world and generation needs is to see human beings being fully human. And that's with one voice. That's, that's coming together and being staggered by the truth and the beauty and the goodness of the God who has demonstrated his love in Jesus Christ. Right? Has anybody here ever been to the Grand Canyon? Okay. Uh, I've been to the, I'm, I'm so blessed. I've been to the Grand Canyon a few times. I've been in it uh, and around it. Uh, <clears throat> if you've seen a picture of the Grand Canyon, you know it's pretty amazing, right? But until you've been to the Grand Canyon, you don't know how truly mind-blowing it is. Now, I'm amazed sometimes when I read about someone who goes to the Grand Canyon and their first thought is, instead of my reaction is just, profound gratitude that my eyes get to behold something so wonderfully awesome. And those people's first thought is, I got to get a selfie here. I don't celebrate the fact that occasionally they fall into the canyon, <laughs> but it does happen. Look, we'll, we will never, we will never uh, as, a, as a church, as a people, be the presence of the kingdom until we get past this me first mindset and lose ourselves in the love of God. May that be true for us. So I'm going to end with one quote. Uh, uh, this is a book written by J. Gresham Machen called Christianity and Liberalism. He wrote this book in another very tumultuous time uh, in the history of, our, uh, of the church and of the world. J. Gresham Machen wrote the uh, standard uh, Greek uh, textbook that Diana and I used in the 70s uh, in our early uh, scholarly endeavors in New Testament Greek. He's an amazing scholar. Uh, Controversial in many ways today, like a lot of great people are. Uh, but Machen writes this, and I'll just end with these words. Is there no refuge from strife? Is there no place of refreshing where a man can prepare 
for the battle of life? Is there no place where two or three can gather in Jesus' name to forget for the moment all those things that divide nation from nation and race from race, to forget human pride, to forget the passions of war, to forget the puzzling problems of industrial strife, and to unite in overflowing gratitude at the foot of the cross? If there be such a place, then that is the house of God, and that the gate of heaven. And from under the threshold of that house will go forth a river that will revive the weary world. May that be true for us. Thanks again for listening. We hope this resource has been helpful to you. If you have questions or are just looking for more information, you can check out our website at apostleshouston.org.